what's up guys welcome back to another episode of the dream chasing 101 podcast and welcome to 2021 and today's guest is gonna take us around the world in a sense and i'll leave it up to jess to you know give us a bit of context to who she is and what she does cool hi shannon um thanks for having me um yeah so i'm jess i am sure many things i uh i've worked as cabin crew i came home earlier this uh well 2020 for lockdown and uh kind of got stuck at home um and was made redundant but it's been quite a journey before that i uh, actually have a degree in fine art i have my teaching qualification and um yeah i'm currently working as a learning designer online um i'm also a rowing coach so I've been through, through many things, um, very diverse, but yeah, that's me. And you mentioned that you do a lot of, you know, you, you many things. What did you want to be growing up? You know, where did you see yourself, you know, when you were probably the, in the 15 year range and how far are you from that right now? Uh, the 15 year range, I, I can't even tell you. I think I always knew that I wanted to be a teacher, that I wanted to work with people and have some kind of impact. And as I got older, I kind of um, realized that I, I started coaching at university and um, realized that I really enjoyed connecting with like teenagers and like younger people. So my passion for teaching just grew from there. Um, but there was never really like a clear cut path and that's why it took fine art. Um, yeah, and, and I enjoyed the teaching, but I also just thought, well, I was terrified of routine and like everyday life. So I was like, what's the complete opposite of that? And being cabin crew was exactly that. Um, but if I were to say 15 years, I, this is definitely not where I would see myself, like not even a little bit. Um, I would probably see myself maybe married um, or, you know, just just living a normal kind of life and routine yeah very different to what has happened indeed yeah and with studying fine arts it's um i was actually that was one of the options when i was you know picking a degree and i remember looking at the curriculum and i was like this is intense and the person that interviewed me at wits as well was like you know, basically, this is going to be your life. How was that studying that degree? Is that accurate? You know what the warning she gave? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, I remember going for my degree at Wits as uh, for my for my interview at Wits as well, and being yeah. completely terrified and thinking like, who are the people that have come in before me? Like, what have <laughs> they shown you? Because I always thought like my art was so mediocre in high school, and I never felt that I was like pushed to my full potential. Um, so I was, it, it was definitely all consuming. Um, and especially when you get, so first and second year, you have a lot of classes. It's a lot of hands-on work. It's like first term is sculpture. Second term is drawing. Third term is painting. Uh, and then all whilst you're doing like printmaking and history of art and you're taking psychology. And it was really, really intense. Um, but I absolutely loved it. I must say, um, I really, really did enjoy it. Third and fourth year, especially fourth year because it's like your honors year you get a lot of freedom to kind of um like it's you have to take it on yourself to like meet with your um your faculty members and uh like write your thesis and and do what you can um so it's a lot more freedom and that was like my first kind of taste of like actually being an adult and not just being a student so i really did enjoy that <laughs> um, but yeah definitely all consuming and would you say that kind of had a role in, I don't want to say like straying away from teaching, but also, you know, being creative also goes against kind of that routine um, kind of living, you know, living as a routine. And then how did that kind of play a role or do you think it influenced you in any way to take up a job as cabin crew? Um, I don't think maybe not directly, maybe subconsciously yeah. in some way. <laughs> Um, psychology coming in here. Yeah. yeah, no, definitely. Uh, de I, I definitely think maybe sub subconsciously and having that freedom and being in such a liberal space, 
because that was probably my favorite thing about studying fine art is that it was so liberal and we used to have these amazing conversations and we started our course in first year with 40 people and we ended with like 16. So the group got smaller and we had like really intense conversations and it was all during like fees must fall. So we had to like meet off campus and it was just such a cool, I still get goosebumps thinking about it. It was such a cool time to be, to be especially studying fine arts. So I definitely think that having that kind of like liberal feeling and and those conversations and I would come home and chat to my family about it and they were like what you know it was like completely radical um it it definitely it definitely made me see things differently and want to do things differently um so I think from that perspective yeah I mean what would you say are some of the key factors that led to you taking a job as cabin crew um that's a good question. So I think, so what happened was I was, I was at an internship. I was doing an internship in KZN. I'd already qualified with my PGCE. And I knew that once I'd finished that internship, it was about July or so that I started looking for another job. And I knew that once I'd finished my internship, that I would obviously have to find a teaching post. And like, that was it. That was me starting my teaching career. And that terrified me. There was a moment where I was like, oh my goodness, this is going to be me for the rest of my life. You know, I don't know if I'm ready for this, you know, as most millennials will say. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I I then saw one of my friends on Instagram was in a new country, like every week or every couple of days she was posting a photo in a different country. And I was like, what is this chick doing? Because I had never in my life thought of becoming cabin crew. It, it wasn't even a vague thought. And uh, she said, no, I'm cabin crew for this international airline. Um, so I was like, wow, that's so interesting. And it just so happened that they were hosting an open day in Durban um, like two weeks later. So I prepped for it, went for it, got the job and ended up leaving my internship early. Uh, the school was very understanding. Uh, the principal was like, sure, if it was my daughter, I would say go and do it. It's an amazing opportunity. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's not like a, a great story. I mean, there were some girls there that, had applied for the job seven times and they they it's hectic like it's like what they live for um so it was really interesting to, to see that different like dynamic going over there um but those yeah definitely the fact that i needed a job <laughs> was one of them yeah. and the fact that i wanted an adventure was was another one what you mentioned like um some of the women going you know multiple times for this job uh, what's the okay so I have a few questions so what was the the percentage male versus female there for that or was that like specifically female only you know for that specific day when you went when I went for my interview yeah. um no no so, okay so for my interview it was um oh the open day actually the well yeah the open day that's a better word um the open days yeah. are it's it was quite mixed. It was definitely more female. Um, very, like quite very few males. And I mean, you can understand that once you do go over there, when you think about a cabin crew, you think about a female cabin crew. I mean, generally speaking. Um, yeah. So yeah, it was very mixed. There were about, like, there were definitely over like 600 people there. Um, so yeah, it was hectic. And that's one, that's one of the smaller open days in Asia and, and um, like, China and Taiwan and especially Thailand, Philippines, they get like thousands and thousands of, of people coming. Um, yeah, it's hectic. And what do they look for specifically when you, you know, when you're thinking qualifications for this job? You know, what, what do they require of you and why is it that some people don't get the job and for instance, you did, well, what, you know, what qualifications or specifications do you need to get this job so it's different for every airline um so iata which is the um like international aviation um agency um they their their requirements are that you have to be older than 18 and you have to have like a matric um i think those are like the basics um so with the airline that i work for it was the fact that you have to be 21 
um, you ha- I think a degree is like preferable. They don't say you have to have a degree, but a lot of the crew, I flew with like a lot of the crew were doctors, lawyers, and they're just like, no, I'm done with life. I want to go and travel and have some fun. So it was really interesting um, and like very intelligent people. And I think that is what they look for. Um, and in terms of like, they want people who are intelligent and able to kind of hold their own and, you know, like, yeah, just intelligent, I guess. Uh, so, and in terms of looks wise, we had to do this thing called a reach test or a touch test, whatever you want to call it. So you have to be able to touch uh, a 212 centimeter mark on the wall. So you walk into a room, you take your heels off, and then you have to go and show them that you can touch it, obviously just to reach the cabins. Um, so so there's that, and obviously like you have to be fairly slim. Uh, oh, oh, the BMI, I think your BMI has to be a certain like limit, uh, which is quite interesting. Um, yeah, so there's there's quite a few requirements, and they definitely like look you up and down and and figure it out on the spot you kind of just feel mm. like you're being put on show <laughs> did any of that process kind of surprise you you know for instance the stuff they were looking for for instance like bmi stuff like that did it kind of shock you a bit when you were there uh definitely i especially coming from such a like um what's the word uh accepting kind of place and family it was it was quite shocking to see. Um, so so you go through the your the first thing is you go and they you all sit in one big room, all six hundred of us, and then they say okay, um, come one at a time, and then there's two people sitting at a desk, and you walk in one by one, and then you do your reach test, and they say they said she just said to me she was like what are you currently doing? I said I'm an educator. So she said, why do you want to be cabin crew? And I just said, I just need something different. And I really want to, you know, you make up something that's not just like, oh, I want to see the world. You have to be different. (laughs) Um, And then uh, they said, okay, she said, here's your, here's your invite to come back tomorrow. Um, And they, yeah. So I, I went back the next day, we got a number. And during that process, there were only about, maybe 60 of us that got invited back for the next day and you all get a number and then the first thing you do is you write a test and like and it's like basic English skills and some basic maths they give you a presentation about what life is going to be like which is a complete lie um (laughs) um yeah they show you like the main city and it's like this is where you'll be living and meanwhile you're actually like in the middle of nowhere where it looks like a war zone but anyway um and and so they really sell it to you and you just think wow this is the right choice and then so and then they come out and they say okay we're going to call your numbers if we don't call your number please leave and then we were down to about like 20 of us and then they said um they took us one by one into a room and they asked you if you have any scars or tattoos. And um, there was one girl next to me who was married and she was like, I really want this job. You know, my husband wants to also come with me. And she told me this great story and I was like, well, that sounds reasonable. But then she told me she had a tattoo on her chest and she was cut like this. She didn't get invited back. So yeah, it's quite intense. Um, And I think especially being a a Muslim airline, um, they are like, no one has tattoos at all so that's like my number one thing is if people want to do this job i'm like don't just just don't get a tattoo um so that was and scars as well if you have like scarring or pigmentation down your arm forget about it they won't take you jeez that i mean that's a bit intense but obviously did you did you kind of get you know the same question i just asked you now where you know were you shocked with what was required but at the same time, did you almost kind of expect it? Because, you know, you've been on an airline before and you've seen, you know, cabin crew before. So were you kind of like shocked that it's like, this is the real situation. And then at the same time, we were also like, okay, but it kind of makes sense because, you know, we've seen, you know, these cabin crew members for, for so many years on these airlines. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I think um, I was shocked at how it's so blatant but also like subtle like they don't like say it out loud and it's not like out there um but 
but also kind of like, oh, well, that would make sense, you know, because when you look mm. at especially like these top international airlines, they have this like elite kind of look and like pristine. And yes, if you had like 10 crew walking around with like tattoos everywhere, it would just, you know, it wouldn't yeah. look the way that we expect it to look. Um, so, yeah, definitely. What are... So you mentioned, you know, they kind of give you a summary of what the job would entail, or you know, where you'd be staying, those kind of things. What are some of the perks of being cabin crew that you found in your experience? Uh, definitely the travel, obviously. <laughs> the cheap tickets were were all very good perks, although I got to the point where I was literally just using my, my cheap tickets to come home every time I could because I just missed my family and my pets. Um I yeah I think being able to travel and see a lot of countries and you know like people will talk about certain countries and I'm like oh I've been there and I've experienced this and there are very few places that I haven't been um and I think that for me just in terms of life and in general when I look when I think about like my 16 year old self um and I know that like she would be proud of me that the fact that I've traveled so much and I think it's a lot of people most majority of people dream to like see the world and experience things so from that perspective that was definitely the biggest perk also the fact that you earn international currency and it's tax-free is another really big perk um yeah so so those were I think probably the two the two biggest perks staying in five-star hotels everywhere all around the world um, and having that kind of like safety in within your travel and knowing that everything's yeah. kind of organized for you. I think like if you've traveled, if people have traveled at all, you know, it can be quite stressful. So that was quite nice to never have to like stress about like where you're going to stay, how you're going to get there kind of thing. Um, yeah. Going back um, a little bit. So can you take us through, for instance, let's say you on a flight from South Africa to the UK or you know just take us through kind of the the journey from for instance like leaving here you know when you get there how long do you stay over is it like a set kind of you know you stay over for two days until your next flight that's already booked or you know how does it work and how much do you actually how much time do you actually spend in these countries that you do you know eventually go and see um that's a good question i think um yeah there's a lot of misconceptions there mm. um so so firstly we get a roster at okay. around the 20th or 21st of every month for the next month and that roster will tell us exactly where we're going what you know what flights we're operating so we can at least kind of plan a month in advance um and then we we can request for certain flights so we can like bid, we call it bidding. We could bid for flights and you get like a point system where you get 10 bids. So you can bid for like four days off is the maximum amount of days off you can bid for, or you can bid for a flight to London or a flight to Cape Town, whatever. Um, so whether or not you get those is just pure luck. Um, it really just decides. We called them the rostering gods, what the rostering gods want to decide for you. Um, but yeah, so, so once you get your roster, you look at it and you say, oh my gosh, I've got my flights. Great. Wonderful. Um, so let's say I'm operating a flight to Heathrow, for example, which is one of obviously one of the top like security conscious places. Um, so then we go into, so I, let me give you an example. So if the departure is 2am from, um, from Doha, so your departure is 2 a.m. Your pickup will be about two hours before. My reporting time would be one hour, 50 minutes before the flight. So your pickup would be like two and a half hours before your flight actually takes off. So that means you're looking at, so like it's two midnight, you're looking at your pickup being around 11.30 p.m. So you need to wake up by about 10, 10.30 p.m. So you can eat, make sure everything's in order, shower, obviously do your makeup, get ready, go downstairs get on your bus um get to the operating center so we didn't even go into the airport itself we would just go into the operating center we have a whole operating center there's fourteen thousand cabin crew plus however many pilots there are it was massive it's a huge huge uh, system to run 
And then in the operating center, there's all these rooms with like these big windows where you go in and that's your briefing room. You check in for your flight, you check in your luggage, um, you go to your briefing room, you sit down, you have your briefing, you meet your, uh, your supervisors and uh, you say, you introduce yourself. So Jessica, South African, been flying for three months, whatever. Uh, so you go all around the room, realize that you're the only South African and you don't know anyone else in the room. That's like standard procedure. Um, so, yeah, and then you uh, go from, you answer some safety and security questions. So everyone has to answer a specific question that the supervisor can say to you, what does, um, what does alert stand for, which is like your silent review or something. And you have to be able to do this. If you can't answer, you can get offloaded. Very intense. Um, yeah, and then from there, we head to the aircraft. We get on another bus. Um, and uh, sometimes you have to stand outside and it's like 50 degrees um, waiting for your bus and you're like sweating. Your I just, I would walk out the buildings and your glasses just fog up and they just don't defog. Um, and then eventually you get to the plane and when you get on the plane, you have to do your like safety and security search. You have to check under the seats in the cabins, make sure that there's no like dangerous items or suspicious um, items and uh, yeah so and then you obviously make sure everything's in order make the seats nice and neat and then we onboard passengers greet them with a smile take off um, take off food service and then everyone just passes out you have to try stay awake for all seven hours of the flight uh, when you probably haven't slept before the flight because it's 10 p.m. when your pickup is, it's supposed to be bedtime. Um, yeah, and uh, flying through the night, land in London, disembark, get your bag, um, go through security and get to your hotel. And then that's your, that's your layover. And your question about how long the layovers are, that is really just dependent on, on where you're flying to. They're normally about 24 hours <laughs> so yes bearing in mind that 12 of those hours is considered minimum rest so we had something called minimum rest which 12 hours before your pickup time you have to be in your room in the hotel so you have to be resting um, so yeah. technically you're not allowed to have anyone with you you're not allowed to be out the hotel um, you have to be resting so it's you know and it's 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 really difficult and a lot of the crew um we all take liberties with that we're like well it's more of a suggestion because i always just said i always just said i'm not doing this job just like i want to see the world i'm not going to sit in my hotel room yeah. and just be like oh if i get caught then whatever i know that i've i've done i, I i've done what i wanted to do i've seen the world so but then you do get layovers like in new zealand uh, Auckland which is like you get a day off and almost a day and before and after so you kind of have okay. almost three days there but that's because of the the um, like jet lag situation so it just depends on where you're going but I think my shortest layover ever was 14 hours so and that happened quite often um, so it just was lack of the draw I think as as the airlines have grown and gotten so busy Mm. the layovers have gotten shorter and shorter shorter yeah so and it used to be a case of like okay so you would operate the flight inbound to london with that certain flight number so let's say it's like 162 or whatever then you knew that you would be operating 163 back the next day okay but you it would often be so like different you would have completely different numbers so that means your layover becomes much shorter yeah so it just was luck of the draw. And what is your most, you know, frequent um, destination slash, you know, yeah. What is your, your most frequent destination that you find yourself visiting, you know, the rostering gods kind of, you know, doubt you? Oh, that's a good one. Um, Sydney, actually, funny enough. Okay. Uh, which was actually quite cool because I have, a cousin in Sydney that I hadn't seen in 11 years. So it was like this great reunion 
And I saw her and I was like, oh my goodness, this is amazing. I don't know when I'm going to see you again, but let's, you know, like make the most of our two days together. And then the next month I got Sydney again and I was like, wow, this is amazing. The next month I got Sydney again and the next month I got Sydney again. And I was like, seriously? And I, you know, the crew always come up with like these ridiculous things like, oh, once you get Sydney, you'll get it every month. And I'm like, that just can't be true. Like, <laughs> it's just, it can't be. But I realized very soon after that, that it was. But it was really cool. Like, I got to be, I was in Sydney with uh, my cousins for the World Cup final when South Africa won, obviously. So that was, like, amazing. Yeah. Um, yeah, so definitely Sydney, um, Johannesburg. I feel a lot to Johannesburg which is very ironic because that's where I'm from. <laughs> um, and um, there was another place that I used to go quite often. I'm trying to think. Yeah, but definitely Sydney, Johannesburg. And I did do quite a few London flights, whether it was Gatwick or Heathrow. I used to request for them because I have so many friends and family in London and people were always like, you are crazy. It's the worst flight to operate. <laughs> so, Yeah. When, you know, you look at, um, you know, flying to so many different places means, you know, the audience is always different. There's always a different, you know, behavior set. Yeah, profile, if you want to put it that way. What are some of the things that, you know, kind of irritated you, but you obviously couldn't show any kind of, or, you know, which type or which nation? I don't want to, like, put you in a spot to say oh no the australians were the worst but um were there any kind of specific flights put it that way like people flying to for instance a certain destination that were a little bit more um or that required a bit more attention let's put it that way absolutely without a doubt um so it's it's quite interesting because we we call it passenger profiling it's like a thing that we have yeah. to do we have to you know, understand our passengers and what they want and what they need and how to talk to them. And especially after operating three or four Sydney flights, you know that there's a specific way that you need to talk to these certain people. And yeah. it's mainly what I've drawn it down to is the fact that it's like the difference between first world and third world countries. So if you're operating a flight to Kathmandu, which is Nepal, um, the people are so humble and sure they drink a lot because it's free and it's cheap. And exactly. these are all like workers and they're, they're going to see their families after two years, you know, they're just grateful to have anything. So it's, it's, it's really, but then, you know, you have like dirty lavatories that you have to clean all the time. So it's like a toss up. Whereas if you do an Australian flight, or a London flight, those are the two that are like, mm, we don't really want these because they are very demanding. Um, the passengers are quite demanding. Um, they they know what they want and th what they paid for and they will get their money's yeah. worth. Um, I remember, I can tell you a story, on, on my one Sydney flight, there was a woman in business class um, I'm not sure what nationality she was, to be fair, but I remember the supervisor was a Filipina, Filipino man, um, really, really nice guy, like super kind, humble. And uh, so she said she was hungry and she wanted some food. So he said, so she asked, I think, for the pancakes. And he said, no, unfortunately, ma'am, we only have like the oats left. So she said, okay, that's fine. Just bring it to me. Anyway, so he prepared it and went into the cabin, gave it to her, put it in, in front of her. And she was like, what is this? And you know, business class is like super fancy set yeah. up. It's got like the candle and everything. She's like, what is this? And he was like, no, man, this is the oats. And she was like, no, but I don't eat this. Like, this is what people from your country eat. Like full on straight face. So, and I think... I think the biggest thing with those things is that people forget that we're actually people. We're not just people. like they see a badge. And and that's what I always used to tell myself whenever I had issues with customers. It was a thing of like they're angry at the badge. And sure, I might have like done something that's not 100% like what you wanted. But but I'm still a human being. Don't forget that. Like yeah. I'm not a robot. Um, so, yeah, those definitely those like first world 
um, upper class flights were the dreaded ones, but also the nice destinations. So you got to kind of like toss it it's up. It's a trade off. It's a given to, a little catch 22 there. Yeah, absolutely. And going, you know, just quickly into the business class economy, first class kind of separation and you as, you know, someone who's, you know, dealing with these, you know, individuals, is there a clear cut way of saying, you know, like once you see people in that certain class, whether it be first or business, that it's almost like the behavior changes. I don't know, you obviously wouldn't have seen someone that's been in economy and then business, but from your experience, you know, just the the dealing with it, is it also different, even though, for instance, they're going to the same destination? Absolutely. So um, just something to note is that with um, our airline, it was a case of that I like you work in economy and so economy and business class are like two separate things. You can't work in both. So I was in economy and after two years, you can be promoted to you get your training and you go to business class. However, um, obviously we have to interact sometimes with business class passengers or customers. And a lot of the times you'll find like a family that travels together and then like the dad will have a business class ticket or my mom, or my, a mom wasn't like feeling well. So the dad put her in business class and then, and then, you know, the sense of entitlement kind of comes in. Um, but definitely, definitely there's, there's. You know they they're paying a lot of money for those tickets like a lot of money um yeah. so they definitely feel like they expect more they expect absolute like perfection in um in business class what are you know you mentioned all the positives like the traveling and the five-star hotels and all of these things what are some of the mis uh, disadvantages of cabin crew or, or not disadvantages but things that you know you you just had to settle with you know just for the sake of you know the travel and the nice places you get to see i think uh there's a lot <laughs> um and i got to the point where i definitely felt as though the 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 disadvantages or the negatives outweighed the positives um, and it's like anything, you know, it's like a relationship. If you feel like the negatives outweigh the positives, you need to cut ties. Yeah. Um, and so it kind of just happened. It all was all kind of the right timing for me coming home. Um, I was really, I ended up on antidepressants. I was in a really, really bad space. Um, just because, firstly, um, the hours that you have to keep. So I spoke about, like, for example, that London flight that departs at 2 a.m., you have to wake up at 10 p.m. But now you might have come from a flight that's landed at like 9 a.m. that morning and then you have to try and like rest um, and also like unpack, repack, get your laundry done, eat something healthy. Like I found myself eating Fruit Loops for dinner every other night, um, you know, and in hotels you're eating hotel food, you're eating the casseroles on the airplane. I put on so much weight. By the time I came home, I was one of those people during lockdown that got like ultra fit. <laughs> so yeah, um, it it was just the whole thing. So I think it was such a good experience and I think people need to experience it for themselves because my whole thing was that I didn't want routine and I was terrified of it. And I, I was like, I don't want to get stuck in this like mundane life. But then... I went the complete opposite direction and I've had that experience and I can honestly say that it's not for me and it is, it worked for some people, but for me, I was like, no, I need routine. I need to go to sleep at the same yeah. time every night um, and wake up at the same time every morning and, you know, just be able to see daylight and know that I need to be awake and see night and know that I can just go to sleep. Um, yeah. And I, I mean, I was exhausted. There were times I, I, I literally fell asleep while I was walking one day, like I, 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 I was walking through the cabin and I literally like fell asleep as I took a step. And there were so many times where, you know, you just think to yourself, you, we would go like lock ourselves in the lavatory for five minutes to, to have a sleep, just to close your eyes for five minutes because you actually just cannot physically keep them awake anymore. Uh, so 
definitely that sense of exhaustion. I will say that I do miss that level of exhaustion and the sleep that you get in that five-star hotel bed. You've had a beautiful shower and then you just sink into your five-star bed and you just, everything like hugs you and you just sleep for like 16 hours and it was wonderful. But that sense of exhaustion and, you know, I have all these photos from all around the world, some really, really stunning ones. And I look great because I've just come from a flight, so I still have a full face of makeup. But I'm like dead inside. And I, I literally don't yeah. remember half of it because I was so sleep deprived. And I'd been awake for like 30 hours. And, you know, that sense, I'm one of those people that gets ultra FOMO. Like anyone in my family will tell you that. FOMO is real for me. So if the crew's all like, no, we're going out. And I'm like, I'm so tired. I haven't slept for 30 hours. I need to sleep. Um, it doesn't matter. I'll have like a triple espresso and go. <laughs> and yeah, so so those are the things. And I, mentally, like I just didn't cope very well. It's a very, very lonely lifestyle. Um, and you don't, you wouldn't think so. And most people don't think so. But if if you're happy to be alone and like you're happy in your own space and and just doing your own thing all the time and you don't have a, a partner or you're not, you know, like, you, yeah, those are not your priorities and sure it works. But for me, I was just very lonely in general and exhausted. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, like for instance, when, you know, you as a traveler, you know, goes on an international flight, you normally exhausted afterwards. So it's, you think, you guys are doing that like on a regular basis is you know that that can only be exhausting i mean there's no other way but it's like you mentioned it's just trading off the there's a the ultimate payoff is you know the travel like that's something that not many jobs can offer absolutely and i think like i said some people can do it um and a lot of people do have the mindset where they love it and uh mm. I have a friend, uh, well, she's actually not a friend. She's she's actually just someone that was on our WhatsApp group that I said, because all my stuff is still there. And I was like, is anyone operating a flight to Johannesburg or Cape Town in the next few days? Um, I need some things. And I don't know this girl from a bar of soap, but anyway, we started chatting and, and she went into my apartment and got some things for me. Um, and I said to her, I was like, why are you still there? You know, um, there's been opportunities where yeah. there's been volunteer redundancy or whatever um and she just said you know i'm happy she's she's happy there doing what she's doing she's south african and she her family's in south africa and she but she just said she's she loves it so and i respect that um completely and i i just know that it wasn't for me um and the rules and restrictions um it just there's so many um so yeah i just think it got to the point where the 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 traveling the perks of the traveling just didn't um outweigh the negatives anymore and you know on your facebook page and this is what kind of prompted me to you know set this podcast up was seeing you recover from your well your post-surgery post and at that moment i was thinking okay you know like could be many things but then i remember you were cabin crew did that injury have anything to do with the lifestyle and obviously you know the work um force you want if you want to put it that way like actual workforce or was it just something that kind of happened if you don't mind talking about that <laughs> no 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 not at all it's a very good question um so it being cabin crew is extremely physically demanding not only yeah. because you're on your feet for like endless hours. Um, and even the fact that we change, we don't wear heels the whole flight. We do change into flat shoes. Um, okay. But that you're still fighting with carts. You know, if there's turbulence and your cart is unsecured, you're the one who has yeah, to like push to... it through to the end and like secure it somehow. And like there was so much kicking and throwing and, and in the galley when it's like peak um service and there's like there's like five of you in the galley and you're trying to move things and get this and get that and you're moving atlas boxes and it took its toll on my body when i came so actually let me start with the first thing i've had two surgeries in the last year well two one and a half years within my first week of flying i got a ganglion which is like a cyst um on yes. my wrist 
And uh, I, I didn't think much of it at the time and it just kind of got bigger and then it got smaller and then it got big again. And I was like, and I showed my mom and she was like, no, 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 we have to see a doctor. And the doctor was like, well, it's attached itself to all your nerves and it's right next to an artery. So we have to take it out. So that was within my first week of flying that happened. Um, and they don't really know how they happen, but it is, it's a physical movement that happens. Um, and in terms of my hip, um, which is this ganglion has actually since come back. <laughs> um, but anyway, in terms of my hip, I, I really don't know what happened. Um, my doctor, so I had a labral tear, which is basically the washer between your ball and socket joint tears off. And, um, my doctor is still, every time I see him, he's like, are you sure you don't remember when this happened? Because everyone who has this has yeah. like an oh crap moment. Like, when you know that it's gone, when you've torn it off. And I said, I don't know. And I have no idea when it happened, how it happened. Um, it could have been when I fell from ice skating, but I would have known. Um, but for months, I just had no idea. And so when I came home in March, I obviously went from like flying a lot and doing all that like physical exercise, always on the go, to then doing nothing. And it was only after a, doing nothing for a while where I noticed that like everything else was fine, but I still had this intense pain in my hip and it just kind of didn't go away. And I saw a physio about it and that didn't work. And then I went for x-rays and then I eventually went to the orthopedic surgeon and he did an MRI and he was like, no, it is this, but there's also like sciatic pain. So it was a whole thing. And eventually, um, yeah, he, I, I, I just put it down to the fact that my job was so physically intense um, that, and I'm not like a weak person. I really, I'm quite like, I, I was a rower, you know, I'm physically quite strong, yeah. um, but it could have been anything. It could have been from when I fell during turbulence or hit that cart. And you don't even remember what happens in the flight because there's so many of them and it goes by like this and you just don't know. It's your priority is not looking after your body at that time. So definitely, I think it had something to do with it. Yeah, I think, um, you know, with lockdown and being, you know, going from two extremes, you know, from being very busy to not doing anything at all. Because I also found, um, so I do a lot of, you know, sp sport photography and video work. And I'm always kind of like on one knee. So I'm always in this like compromised where my ankles are, you know, compromised, if you want to put it that way. And during that time, it was fine. You know, like you constantly on your feet, you, you don't feel, maybe you feel a bit of pain underneath your feet just from, you know, being on a golf course for five hours and then going to lockdown. And then all these problems started kicking in. Like, um, I had like nerve pain under my foot and I was like, this is coming from nowhere. I'm wearing flip flops and I'm laying the whole day. Where's this coming from? And the doctor actually said, it's because your body's like so used to, you know, the load and then all of a sudden there's no load. So you're not stretching or putting that, you know, kind of loosening it up. And that explains kind of exactly what happened to you, that it's like that constant force that you put your body through and it got used to it. And now all of a sudden you're chilling and. Yeah, it's 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 amazing, actually, how our bodies just adjust and cope. Yeah. And it's also the same thing, like when I was teaching that every holiday I would get sick because uh, it was like stress, 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 stress. And then all of a yeah. sudden you relax and then your body's like, oh, okay, I can actually like. Okay, now we can chill. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it's, yeah, it was quite interesting to see that. And I'm always amazed by my body. But I, like, I'm amazed at how I like bounce back from these surgeries. And it, yeah, it's, it's, it's been hectic. Uh, but definitely is very, very hard. It's not as glamorous as what people always think it is. It's not just like, oh, taking a flight, seeing the world, you know, it's, it's there's a lot more to it. And just uh, last few questions, you know, being a teacher, having that experience as a teacher, did that also help you, you know, when working cabin crew because you kind of managing, I mean, they're obviously younger kids, but you're managing so many personalities did that anyway kind of help you? Yeah, absolutely. I think learning uh, uh, how to deal with teenagers <laughs> will set <laughs> will set anyone up for life. <laughs> um, <laughs> excuse me, um, but 
I uh, I think definitely there was it was a case of that. Um, there were many times where I thought, sure, okay, how would I deal with this? In a in a school environment, you always have to be very like politically correct. Um, yeah. And and understand kind of the emotion behind it, and know that like if someone is like shouting at you, he's probably just had a bad day, um, and has a lot more going on beneath the surface than just being angry at you. I think yeah. that helped me a lot, definitely, because like we would operate flights to Nigeria, and these little Asian crew that was so petite and polite, these you know Nigerian men are like, give me this, give me this, and. They are yeah. so hectic and these girls would just come to the galley crying and I was like, but this is just how they are. Like, you don't have to be scared of them. It's just how they yeah. are in their culture. So I think having that exposure to like different cultures and especially teaching in South Africa, there's so many different like sensitivities that you have to be aware of with mm. um, like class and um, kind of um, racial issues and, and cultural issues. And so I think that definitely helped me. Um yeah definitely and you know just you've kind of expressed why you've left you know um cabin crew where do you find yourself now in your journey like what well, what's on the the cards for for jess now after seeing you know after doing so much because like you mentioned you know this is something that most people you know want in life is to see the world so now that you've kind of gotten that you know, a fairly good taste of that. Where where does that leave you now? It's a very good question. And I often I often used to say while I was flying, I would turn like to my mom and be like, But mom, like what do I do now? You know, this is what people yeah. this is what people spend their whole lives looking for is to see the world and travel. You know, that that is essentially what most of the people that I know live for is to just travel and see things. And I was like, what is gonna fulfill me after this? Like what oh, is gonna yeah. be enough? Um, and I think it was just a case of like learning and understanding that that was just a phase in my life and I'm super grateful for it. And it's given me so much life experience. Um, so now I find myself in a job where I work from home. I have a steady routine. Um, I'm working as a learning designer, uh, developing short courses for universities online, um, so it's so different to anything that I've done. I work in a small team that I that I know well um, versus, you know, with 14,000 crew that you never see again. Yeah. Um, and it, it's enough for me, you know, I enjoy it. And I also, um, I mean, I coach rowing. Rowing has always been a passion of mine. Um, so I'm also the head coach at a rowing club, a small club in Cape Town which I absolutely love. I love that interaction. So I still get the interaction with people and the, the young girls and, you know, just having that relationship with them. So I think all round, I'm okay with where I am right now. My next step is to move to the UK. <laughs> okay. um, that, that was what was going to happen straight from being cabin crew, but then COVID happened. And I'm so grateful that, not, I'm not grateful that COVID happened, but I'm grateful that, I've been able to come home, just recuperate mentally. Reevaluate. Yeah, and and you know know that you know I, I could fix my hip and, I, and just have the time to just relax um, and know what I want in life and figure out. Uh, and I think just making peace with the fact that I'm okay with just kind of having a smaller life and and not mm. just traveling all the time and. Um, yeah, I've also started an Instagram account, which is Express the Jess, um, kind of trying my hand at uh, being a social influencer. Um, yeah. So there's there's so many things and so many doors that are opening for me. Um, so there's still opportunity. Um, you just kind of have to make it, you know. 100%. And to close off, um, just some kind of, quick fire advice for i feel like i don't want to sound like maybe a bit on the sexist side but it feels like the cabin crew life is um you know like you mentioned the misconception and it's always usually kind of the female the you know the women that are looking at that kind of perspective because 
for some I, I suppose it's because also when you go on these ca- these flights you generally see more women than men in general um so if you have to chat and being a, a woman yourself the the challenges you faced is obviously various times you must have encountered uncomfortable situations and things like that so if you have advice for you know the women out there looking to get into this or are in the process of um you know joining into cabin crew life you know what advice can you give them um it's a great question because i've actually had a girl reach out to me um via a friend of a friend and she was she's just finishing matric and she wants to be cabin crew and this is like what she's living for yeah. and i've just said to her find what you want to do in this life find what you want to do long term you know as a job what's going to fulfill you get your degree do that maybe get a year or two of experience and then become cabin crew be an adult know who you are because there are such challenging circumstances it's moving from your home country it's moving from home with your parents it's moving it's just everything shifts and it's learning to be able to say no and to stand your ground and being able to you know like deal with everything with a smile on your face some people yeah. struggle to do that um so those are all kind of just skills that you you have to be able to kind of acquire so i would just say and i often i so many people ask me about it and whenever i say oh i was cabin crew they're like oh that's so cool and i'm like yes it is but they are this this and this and i'm very very realistic with people that it's not as glamorous as as you may think it is um it's a lot of cleaning people's trash literally um yeah and sure if you want to live to travel and that's your primary goal and you're willing to do anything to travel absolutely but you need to be well aware of um of what the the um the full job entails and what the whole thing is cool thanks so much for you know coming on and talking about this jess really appreciate it so if people want to follow your account it's express the jess yeah it's just express underscore the underscore jess um okay. yeah so it's still very new but uh yeah it's i i am planning to share some of my cabin crew stories i have some really wild ones um as you can imagine um but yeah it's been awesome to chat to you and just kind of relive variants i love talking about it and also going back to university it feels like so long ago so really nice to chat about that as well Cool. And yeah, guys, I'll link um Jess's account below, so be sure to click and give it a follow and yeah. Thanks so much, Jess.